Welcome to the podcast. We do recover with Jared Miller, your host. And I'm Dr. Terry Sellers, your co-host. This is a podcast about recovery from addiction. We want to talk about what successful recovery can look like. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center, Rise Up Subs, and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. Captain's Log, August 18th, 2023. Stardate. Episode 128 is underway. Welcome to We Do Recover. Is that true? We're live. We're rocking I mean, and we're rolling, on. baby. We're recording. We're good. So, All right. Let's have a podcast. On today's episode, okay. we have kind of a little bit more of a somber topic that we're going to dive into. The title of today is When Your Loved One Dies. So we're going to get to that. And I just got to say right off the bat, Doc, like you have some incredible bravery. We're going to get into all of that. Uh, let's let's uh, give our sponsorships their mention. Episode 128 is brought to us by Steps Recovery Centers. Steps Recovery Centers is an adult substance abuse and mental health treatment provider. Steps Recovery Centers provides all levels of care. They have a medical detox facility, multiple residential treatment centers, and outpatient treatment services reaching from the top of Utah to the bottom. Recovery starts with you, and at Steps Recovery Centers, there's always hope. Call them today at 801-800-8142 or visit their website at stepsrc.com to learn more. Episode 128 is also sponsored by Rise Up Supplements. Rise Up Supplements is a nootropic line aimed at optimizing brain function and supporting mental health. They have two powerful blends. Mindful Mood helps decrease anxiety and enhance mood. MindShift helps increase focus and optimize brain function. Place your order at riseupsups.com. That's R-I-S-E-U-P-S-U-P-S.com. We appreciate both of those companies sponsoring this podcast. Yes, we do. All right, Doc. So um, our topic today... I'm sure we we kind of went back and forth on this whether it's well can I you you I don't mind looking unprofessional at all right you like to look professional which is awesome uh, I think we can let our listeners in on why we got to this topic and that is we had a guest didn't show yes something might have happened I don't know but um, kind of last minute we found out we didn't have a guest so we have put this topic together last minute now there's a of course, a gigantic event that happened in my life this past, not like last weekend, this past weekend. Yeah. It's Friday today. I actually had uh, got the news that my daughter had passed away uh, Saturday night of last weekend. So it's still pretty fresh and raw. Um, but uh, yeah, we decided to talk about that. It's a good topic. It's a difficult topic if you've lost a loved one in the last week, but uh, it's a good topic. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I don't know how much our listeners know either one of our personal stories. My dad passed away in 2011, August 17th, which was yesterday, and that kind of set me into a tailspin. The depression, you know, the that loss really is kind of what set off my addiction personally. And so I'm pretty sure hopefully all of our listeners can relate to this, whether it's a family member, a friend, coworker, any kind of loved one in their life. So do we want, let's just jump right into it. We don't need to do the new and goods. Let's just get no, out. We can do new and goods. Okay. You want to start us off? Well, I'm going to do seller's silly seconds. Okay. I like it. Okay, let's keep it I think I've actually told you about this one before, but uh, researchers set up different stations inside of a mall. And they would have patients, volunteers, come by to each different station and they would draw blood samples. Okay, they'd have them spend five minutes at the station and then they'd draw blood samples. Do you know where I'm headed with this? Have I told you about this? No. Okay. So it's very interesting because they found testosterone levels were highest. The closer a station was where they drew blood, 
the closer a station was to a Cinnabon. Really? I kid you not. This is not a joke. Now, it's a funny and stupid study, right? But that's what they found out in the study is that testosterone levels were highest at the station that was closest to the Cinnabon. And they did this over, they, they used several hundred volunteers, and they used multiple malls. It wasn't just one mall. Why would that be? Uh, it's got to be a scent thing, for sure, right? I mean, mm. have you ever been by the Cinnabon place in the mall? It smells delicious. Oh, yeah. It's a pretty strong odor. Like, it's a great odor. But it's probably the strongest odor in the mall, unless the guy next to you passed gas. But, um, <laughs> but it's probably, yeah, I know, I had to do something stupid. But... Um, so uh, I was thinking about this study, right? You don't know how many people as a physician, how many f people who suffer from the disease of addiction who come to me and ask for testosterone. It's a super common thing. That Part of the reason is, first of all, there are many of the drugs or alcohol that we can get addicted to that lower testosterone levels. Mm -hmm. Opiates for sure decrease testosterone levels in males. Um, and so these people come out of addiction and their testosterone levels are low and low testosterone doesn't make you feel great. Like it's kind of gives testosterone does a lot of things for us. It primarily builds muscle mass, but well, that's one of the things we like about it, but it does a bunch of things, including people with low testosterone have lower energy levels. They have lower motivation. They have lower motivation. They have lower stamina. They don't sleep Both as good. in their life and in their sex life. Um, yeah, they don't sleep as well. So the testosterone does a lot of things for us, right? And so when people come out of addiction, now once you stop the opiates, the testosterone levels will rise, but it'll be slow. I mean, it's going to be months before your testosterone levels get back to normal. And I try to tell patients, just be patient. It's going to come back. But nobody likes being patient when you feel crappy. Yeah. So I get a bunch of people ask me for testosterone all the time. Well, if I say no, go stand by the Cinnabon. There, I just, was just go stand say. by this. Go get yourself a Cinnabon. Yeah, write them a prescription and, uh, for yeah, Cinnabon. Yeah, Cinnabon one Cinnabon a day. There you go. I John? don't think that the muscle mass part of that will equate very well, but I also just uh, it'll increase mass, Sean? just not muscle mass. <laughs> Sean looked like he had a comment. Okay, no, I lied. No. no comment. Sean's over there eating a Cinnabon. <laughs> yeah, he's just rolling. He's feeling it. great. And also, I think it's important to, to note that in your 20s, your testosterone naturally starts going down anyways. Sure. By the time you are you hit your 30s. 63. You, well, I don't know. Do we 63, need to blood dry? 63, my estrogen levels are incredible. <laughs> I don't have any testosterone left. That's why you're my, glowing. Yes, yeah. That's why, my, that's why I'm getting bigger in the chest for sure. <laughs> No, it's, uh, yeah, it, it does naturally go down. It's interesting, though, the people that the people that come and ask me for testosterone typically have arms that are three times the size of mine. Like yeah. nobody, nobody that ever asked me looks like they really need it. Do you think that that's because they're used to having yes. higher testosterone? And so yes. they don't, f they, they extra don't feel good because they're used to their body, right? Like, so I get this all the time. People will ask me, hey, man, do you take steroids? And I'm like, no, absolutely not. If you go back to when I was in high school, I'm just a genetically a bigger dude. It's easy for me sure. to put on size. What's sure. hard for me is to get really ripped and shredded like you see some people. Genetically, you were a linebacker anyway. Right. 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 Genetically, I was never a linebacker. Yeah. And so so I think that there is, It's I, I get it. You know, I'm sure a lot of physicians are like, this dude's just looking, for, right. Right? right? But at the same time, when before pre-addiction, if your testosterone was naturally high and you had that those genetics you really feel it sure. after they may feel it worse of for sure abuse or whatever the chemical is for sure absolutely we'll go get a cinnabon yeah i'm gonna do that that's my recommendation to everyone that doesn't have a testosterone prescription that's probably why i don't know if that's sustainable or not you'd have to eat a cinnabon every day probably that's probably why i'm not ripped like rambo is because cinnabon I love food too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, I mean, the guy, you know, I've talked to a number of people in my day who were unbelievably ripped, right? And they they all talk about diet. Right. It's not really about spending all that time in the weight room, although that doesn't hurt you. Sure. But it's good for you. But it's all, if you really want to be totally cut, if you want to go do a show, 
that's all about diet. Got to have the diet. Yeah. Then. Yeah. You know, what's funny though. It, it reminds me oftentimes in early addiction, we cross addict to sugar. Sure. And we've talked about sure. this in relapse warning signs, but like Ben and Jerry's baby, they were like, Oh, no question. They were my map program for right. staying off of opiates for the first two right. years. Hog and dust. Oh yeah. Hog and dust is, yeah. a, is probably could be considered Matt, right? I also just drove truck all day. And so I got up to like 285 pounds. Oh uh, yeah. I went in and my doctor's yeah. like, you're pre-diabetic. And I'm like, my life's got to change. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. No more Ben and Jerry's. Yeah. And, <laughs> and got to increase some exercise. Yeah. For sure. Sean Denovan. What's new and good, buddy? Anything new and good in the world of Sean Denovan? Actually, I just bought stock in uh, in uh, Cinnabon because <laughs> <laughs> uh, ne- next week's my birthday, and my wife promised me a threesome. So, <laughs> <laughs> kidding, kidding. Uh, uh, is that why we got invited over to the house? No, no. <laughs> well, that's not what I had in mind. <laughs> oh man, we always okay. we always manage. I'm gonna to get, get divorced. I'm gonna get here. divorced just based on the crap I say on this <laughs> podcast, right? Because yeah. I don't talk like this at home. My wife would throw me out of the house. I'm yeah. a- well, here's the thing. Uh, your wife's going to hear it eventually. Right. Jared's wife hears it here in about 15 seconds because right. of the delay. Right. And then I just refuse to talk about it when I get home. Right. Well, how did, oh, everything was fine. We didn't talk about anything, honey. No, you never came up. Well, the good news is you do podcasts, right? So your wife can't possibly listen to all the podcasts you do. My wife's sort of interested in the one podcast I do. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So my wife's going to hear it. Your Zero wife's like... Your wife's just like, oh, it's another podcast. I'm not listening to that crap. <laughs> so all together, we may have like three people that listen to this podcast. Yeah. My your wife, my your wife, wife, right, and then some dude in like Amber. Yeah, Amber Bride may listen Amber Bride. Hey, I I just saw her great, last weekend. Great, great fan of the podcast. Yes, that's actually not true. We have downloads. I'm not going to. No, it. we, we just like to make fun of. Right. Yeah. Um. So that's kind of my new and good is last. What, yeah, tell me about your new and good. My my new and good last weekend, Amber Mc or Amber Bright actually came down to Southern Utah. Uh, we met out in Veo. Her, me, my wife got Where's some Veo? pie. It's pretty close to here. Okay. They have a little pool, and if you've never had a Veo pie, man, you're missing. Really? Out. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I talk about it so we'll much, I feel like I that. should start charging them a sponsor. I wonder if your dude. testosterone levels go up from I'm Veo sure, pies. I'm sure they do. <laughs> the apple pie is phenomenal. It's my favorite. I get it every time. That's my new and good. Well, you have to double down at the Veo pies because, A, you have to go there for lunch and get some of their meat pies. And they then, have meat pies, too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chicken pot pies oh. and some uh, beef wow. pies and stuff. So you have like a nice hearty lunch, and then you get a piece go of pie. swim. Then you get like a normal pie to take right. home with you. Okay. Yeah. Double pie. It. You double pie it. I like it. Yeah. Anything good is good twice. Yeah. Well, good stuff. My fish made up a saying that's probably not true. <laughs> it's an, that's, a, that's a saying of people who are stuck in the battle of addiction, right? Oh, for sure. If one's good, two's got to be better. Right. Right? Yeah. But in fact, there's a Facebook meme of, um, oh my gosh, who's the guy? That, who's, the, who's the comedian that was on Young Frankenstein? Mel Brooks? Uh, no, no, no. Mel oh, Brooks um, um. did it. But who was the guy, the scientist? Uh, Gene, Gene, Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So there's a Facebook meme of, we're old, Gene Wilder. And he says, I just, and it says, I just heard they found a pill that cures addiction. I wonder what two will do. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, Doc, one thing that I will say with this topic is, Oftentimes, anytime we go through like a loss, right, whether it's, um, you know, a family member passing away, I can remember my most recent loss was like when me and Mandy lost, you know, our baby after 10 weeks when she had a a miscarriage. Um, Somebody came up to me and said to me, she gave me a big hug. Um, Her name's Crystal. She works at USARA. Okay. And she said to me, she said, you can be as, as broke down and is, you know, emotional about this, or you can be okay. Both of them are totally okay. Yeah. And I loved that because everybody reacts different. Right. It's, it's you, when you go through something heavy like that, it's almost like sometimes you feel like you're not normal if you're not home for a month crying yourself sure. to sleep. Right. Sure. And so it, it, I'm, gl- I'm glad to see you today. We've, we've got that in my house. Right. There's me who not a super emotional dude. Um, 
and my wife, who's kind of torn up, uh, at least visibly more torn up about this than I am. Mm. Uh, I don't think that means I'm not torn up, by the way. I just think that that visibly I don't look as torn up sometimes as some other people. And I think that's part of my character, too. Yeah. Like, I tend to tackle things head on, and I'm pretty matter of fact. And, yeah, I'm not the most emotional guy ever. Um, I'm not a super macho guy necessarily either, but I'm just not, I don't show my emotions very much. And um, I'm not even a hundred percent sure I f maybe feel them as deeply as some other people. I'm not certain about that. I, I, I have emotions. I'm not a robot, robot. but yeah. um, I have my moments. Yeah. I think too, that there's something to be said about, us has got now maybe this is just me but i'm speaking well you know you're for sure speaking terms. about me as well uh men seem to i've noticed this about me let me let me say this so i'm not right so i'm just men no me jared okay, seems right. to when he goes through grief with other people right i feel like i have to play the strong role okay for other people to like lean on before yeah. I can truly start to feel it and grieve mm -hmm. it myself. Mm -hmm. Is that true for you? Well, I think it is for me, particularly in my family, right? My wife is much more emotional and she's much more broken down about this. I feel like if I fell apart, mm. um, uh, I don't know if that would be doing a service to my wife or not. Right. I'm torn up, but I feel like occasionally I need to look not torn up. Yeah. Right? And that's just for the betterment of... I think that's just so my wife feels like if she breaks down, it's okay. Right. Like, it's okay to lean on me. I'll carry you for a minute. I'll have my moments, but I I don't stay. My wife spent two days in bed crying. Right. Honestly. And it's awesome, and it's cool, and it's... Uh, I haven't done that. I don't know that I ever will do that about this situation. I just have moments where I'm, where I'm lost for a little while. And I appreciate you saying that it's awesome and it's cool. I think too many times people have this idea that like crying is a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Crying is like, that's like saying, oh, I went to the gym and exercised and that's bad. Mm -hmm. Like it's your body's natural reaction right. to release energy. Right. You know? And so if you think of it that way, like just like sweating's natural when you're working out, crying's natural when you're having overwhelming emotions. But it's hard to watch other people cry. It, it makes us. Yeah. It makes us uncomfortable. Which maybe we should, is definitely something we should work on, but it's, you don't want to see your wife crying. Like your job is to comfort your wife and make sure everything's okay. And you can't make this okay. Like there's nothing you can do to make this okay. Right. But um, it's not fun to watch your wife cry. Yeah. And that's why I want to make it all better. I feel like that's one of the emotions that, again, I'm going to speak for me. Yeah. One of the emotions that Jared struggles with the most is feeling powerless in those moments, feeling helpless. Like, I want to fix it. I want to do something to relieve that yep, feeling. That pain. And so I agree that sometimes it's uncomfortable watching other people cry because, not because you know of what they're doing, it's because of you feel like there's nothing you can yeah, do. okay, maybe. That for me, right. I feel like there's nothing sure. I can do to make the situation better. And, and it's a hard place for me to be because sure. I'm such a... Fix it, Felix. Type A personality again, and we hate the sort of, um, particularly in this day and age, we've gone away from gender norms. But I think, as a general rule, men are fixers more than women are. We're not great at listening because we're listening for a solution. We want to fix it. Sometimes, actually, our women in our lives just need to be heard, not to have it fixed, but. Um, but it's pretty natural for us to want to fix things. When we see somebody suffering, we want to make, we want to do something to alleviate that suffering. And working of, in the field of addiction or slash substance abuse, whatever, um, you see it a lot. You see the uncomfortability in other people. Sure. Sure. Like one of the rules that I have when we're running process group is you don't get up and get a box of tissues for somebody because that has nothing to do with them. It has everything. If they wanted a tissue, they would stand up and go get the tissue box, right? has everything to do with Super your, common that we do that though, right? Your uncomfortability. We want to get the tissue box and hand it to them. Almost like in a nonverbal way of saying, you're making me feel uncomfortable. Yep. Stop. Yep. But it is that a little bit sometimes. Like 
please stop this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so sitting in that uncomfortability is good for all of us. Right. For sure. I Speaking of. Not going to kill anybody. Yeah. To be uncomfortable. Yeah. Might actually provide an opportunity for a little growth. Speaking of uncomfortability, I got to be totally transparent with you. Okay. You're my buddy. We've been doing this podcast for yeah, years. A couple minutes now. When you, when we talked about this and you said, yeah, I'm willing to talk about this topic, I hung up the phone and then my mind kicked in and I went, how in the world do I interview this dude that I look up to so much right. about him losing his daughter? Yeah. It's, so I don't know where right. you want to start. I don't know how right. much you want to talk about. And obviously like I'm kind of getting emotional here because sure. I'm in an, again, the uncomfortability of like, right. how do I, how do I do this? Yeah. Man? What am I supposed to do? What do you, what's the people I've, I've had this comment a number of times already. I don't know what the etiquette is. People say, I don't know what the etiquette is around. I don't know. I don't know that there is any etiquette. Like, yeah. um, some people would be uncomfortable fielding questions. I'm not. I I can field any question people have, and I'm happy to do that. And I don't think there's a subject that's off limits or taboo here for me. I I'm okay with talking about it. Actually, I think that helps me even talking about it a little bit. And I can see. I, I, okay, here's the other thing I can see. So uh, my my daughter passed away last Saturday night. It was actually Sunday morning. Well, we don't know the exact time of death, but. I got the call about 1.30 in the morning, uh, Saturday night, Sunday morning. Do you want to back up and talk about what happened the week before that? We got three minutes left in this part. Because you've had a rough t couple weeks. Um, well, sure, we can do that. So we prior that. to this news that you got that Crystal, your right. daughter, passed away. Right. So it's really interesting how these coincide, though. Uh, I, I work for a company called Pathways Real Life Recovery and Pathways Wholeness Center. So they have a residential program down in Richfield, Glenwood, which is a suburb of Richfield. And then um, the outpatient program is up in Sandy, a suburb of Salt Lake. And um, I got the news a few weeks ago that the owner had died. Mm. This is somebody close to you. You'd worked with her well, for Well, I'd worked with her for a long time. Yeah. We had had our share of budding heads, but yeah, we'd worked together for a long time. And uh, it's so, it's interesting that you go back to that because, yeah, that puts me in a certain mindset, right? Well, I'll tell you, the mindset even gets worse. I attended, they had a, um, I'm sure they had a regular funeral, but they had a celebration of life in her backyard. Yeah. That I went to. The day that Saturday, like last Saturday, it's that night that I got the call. So the event that happened before you got the call was you attended the celebration. I attended of life. the celebration of life from the death of my boss Saturday at, you know, from two to five. Um, and we can even start to lead into this a little bit. Um, we had had, my wife had made arrangements for seven grandchildren to, or six grandchildren to sleep over that night. Full house. The Saturday night. I, She invited them over at 2 p.m. Uh, she didn't know I was going to this funeral celebration of life thing. But that started at 2, and I was there from about 2 to 4, and I got home at 5. Um, I come home to grandkids. There's six grandkids in our house. And my wife had planned this whole thing, right? And she, they had games. They were never, our, our grandkids, like a lot of kids, like watching tons of TV. My wife didn't want them to do any of that on this particular day. So she had planned a bunch of outside activities. They had games. They had a slip and slide. We had a, you know, like a bouncy house. We had all kinds of stuff that was going on. And then when I got home, I set up an outdoor movie, and we watched an outdoor movie that night. And, um, you know, went to bed around, the kids went to bed earlier than I did, but I went to bed around midnight that night. And... The first phone call I got was about one thirty in the morning. Now, we're about out of time in this particular thing, but my daughter has struggled with alcohol now for a while, and we had set a rule that we're, we don't talk to her after 10 p.m. because she's frequently drunk, mm -hmm. and the conversations don't go that well. So the first call I got, I ignored it. 
Right, because you know it's one thirty. I think it's my daughter, and I think she's probably she's drunk, intoxicated. Right? So um, we're about out of time. Let's wrap this segment up because we got twenty seconds left. But when we come back after the after the break, I'll tell you kind of how this all transpired, and we'll talk about how I've dealt with it. I appreciate it. Yep. We'll be back with you guys for episode 128, part two, right after this quick little mention from our sponsors. You are listening to We Do Recover with Jared Miller and co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. We'll be right back after this short break with more of We Do Recover with Jared Miller. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center, Rise Up Subs in the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. If you or your loved one is trapped in the cycle of addiction, there is a way out. At Steps Recovery Center in Utah, we believe in second chances and new beginnings. Our evidence-based treatments, compassionate staff, and supportive community guide you on the path to recovery. It is time to reclaim your life. Take the first step towards freedom, resilience, and a brighter tomorrow. Reach out to Steps Recovery Centers today. Recovery starts with you. And at Steps, there is always hope. Call us or visit our website to learn more. We welcome you back to We Do Recover with Jared Miller, co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center, Rise Up Sups in the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. And now with part two of our podcast, Jared Miller and Dr. Terry Sellers. Welcome back, everybody. Episode number one, is it 128? Yeah. Where we are? Episode 128. This is the second half of the episode. We've been talking a little bit about, uh, I lost my daughter this past week to the disease of addiction. Um, we're going to continue that, but before we do, let's get on to something a little happier, the Hilton Garden Inn, which makes me happy. The Hilton Garden Inn is the place to be in Southern Utah. If you're traveling through Southern Utah, give them a Google search, just type in Hilton Garden Inn. They have fantastic amenities. There are rooms. Um, I, I mention this frequently, but I'm amazed at when you go to br- like brand new hotels, the rooms are getting smaller and smaller. The Hilton Garden Inn has gigantic rooms. There's plenty of room in there to to not be claustrophobic, for right. sure. I love the size of the rooms. And then it's, it's so clean. Staff's super friendly. Pool's awesome. The hot tub's great. Is there a Cinnabon nearby? They have a weight room. They do not have a Cinnabon <laughs> Ask nearby. Ask for a friend. Okay. Yeah, they don't. But maybe they'll put one in the lobby after hearing this episode. We'll see. Uh, that's what they need is a bunch of guys with testosterone levels raised in their <laughs> lobby. Um, anyway, so give the Hilton Garden in some of your business. They're a great, they're a great sponsor for us and we love them. We do. We appreciate them. Uh, okay. Well, uh, since this episode has been, uh, we're talking about, uh, the death of a loved one and I've experienced that this week. So I'm going to turn it back towards you since I'm the guest, sort of. Okay. <laughs> One of the if things you, you shared. You want to go? Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that you shared um, before we went on break was your daughter, Crystal, had struggled with this disease of addiction for a while. Yep. She's been to multiple treatment providers. She has not. She has not really been to treatment. She has started outpatient. She has been to a therapist. She didn't really follow through with any of those things very well. And so actually, truth be told, we had set up, she had agreed to go to treatment recently, yeah. very recently. She had agreed to go to treatment and it took me a little bit and I wasn't like maybe quite on it as much as I could have been. I'm not beating myself up. This is, I, I she didn't die because she died because she drank too much, but Um, But we had set up an appointment for her three Mondays ago to go to Diamond Detox. They ran her insurance. She has Medicaid. So they ran her insurance. They accepted her. She was supposed to show up Monday at 1 p.m. I got a a text from their marketer about 3 p.m. Where's your daughter? Hmm. So she found an excuse not to go. And And like I had texted you several days before this happened and had talked to some powers at be at steps recovery center right. one of our sponsors where i work and i mean people were willing to because they know you and how much impact you have on this community they were willing to to scholarship a whole stay for her yeah. which brings me to the point if people are listening to this and they're like you work in this field how you, this hits super close to home for you sure i'm sure sometimes you may have those thoughts like 
it goes back to the willingness. It does. Like people have to be at least 51% willing. And when they are, there's a small window of time to act mm -hmm. on that before the willingness mm -hmm. drops below 51%. Mm -hmm. And I, I can sit here and wonder, had I gotten her into treatment more quickly, could the outcome have been different? Uh, I don't know that that mental exercise does me any good, right. first of all. Um, the shoulda, woulda, coulda is never helpful. I, I mean, we had several. Uh, so she didn't show up to this one appointment, right? Well, then we had set up that she was going to go to another treatment center that used to be owned by a friend of mine, and they wanted her to go to detox first. And then she started hitting with, I mean, there were tons of excuses why she didn't go to the first treatment episode. She starts hitting me with excuses why, well, I can't see this person. I can't have this person see me this way. Mm. Now we're talking about a person who has been that way. Like right. we're talking about people in recovery who have been drunk or high in their life. And my daughter thinks that they're going to judge her. Like, uh, no, people don't have... Right. We can't judge people if she we used, are those she, people. Yeah, she let the shame kind of keep her yes. from getting that. So lots of excuses that came from shame. And one of the things I wanted to mention to you, part of what I do at Steps and I've done in the past is running family groups, right? Like right. family. And what you just said before we went on break, a lot of people may think of that and go, wait, what? You didn't talk to your daughter because she was intoxicated? Absolutely. One right. of the things that as family members, the mistakes that they make is the enabling piece, right? the piece where they don't set boundaries, the piece where they don't protect their own peace. Sure. And so obviously you know that. Obviously that's kind of why you had this agreement with, with your wife, Melody, right? right? So I just kind of point that out. Like that's that's what we teach. But let me tell you something that I've also learned, uh, and I I have been saying this for a very long time, and I knew it was true. But I can tell you, I can tell you as a family member what the textbook says you should do. Mm -hmm. And then I've always followed that up with, I don't know if I could do that with my own son or daughter. Like I'm, I was never sure. And so when you say like we had some boundaries, yeah, but we came to those. I did my share of enabling, right? I don't think I did more than anybody else, but I did. Right. I definitely did some enabling, right? And um, and so these boundaries that we had set up had come through, you know, months or years of mistakes, right? And, and then even, even the other night when it happened, like, okay, so let's go back to the story for just a second. Uh, the first call came in from her boyfriend's telephone and her b telephone has been on the Fritz some, so it could have been her. And in fact, I was almost certain it was her. Right. And so he called my wife first one thirty in the morning. She ignored it because that's what we're doing. Hmm. Two minutes later, I get a call from the same phone from her boyfriend's phone. Um, I ignored it. Two minutes later, my wife's phone rings. She ignored it. Two minutes later, my phone rings again. I ignore it. After four attempts at, to reach us, I finally texted that phone number and said, is there some sort of emergency? Right. And, um, I got an answer, but one word answer. Yes. Okay. So I still think I'm talking to my daughter, right? So I think this is my daughter trying to get me on the phone. I'm not buying this. So I texted back rather than calling. I texted back, what is it? <laughs> and um, two-word answer. Crystal's dead. Mm. Is I'm sure not what you were expecting. Oh, man. Wow. Yeah. Like didn't take me very long to dial that phone number. Right. I'm like, come on, you're kidding me. It can't be real. Like, it hit me like a ton of bricks, but I, my first thought is that, that that can't be true. Right. And so anyway, I call I called the phone and he answers and he said she was dead and he said that he had found her on the floor, unconscious, and he had called 911 and the, CP, and the EMS had already been there and done CPR and she, they couldn't resuscitate her. Mm. So again, going back to the story a little bit, I, I want to talk, I don't want to do the whole story necessarily. I want to talk a little bit about maybe how we can deal with the loss. Um, but, uh, I think the story is important, man. Well, it's part of it. Part of it might be for sure. But, uh, so again, this is a night where we had six grandkids over. 
So we can't just both leave. Right. Right. So anyway, I threw on my clothes. My wife stayed home and she didn't, if Crystal was dead, she didn't want to go see her right. dead daughter anyway. But, um, and I don't blame her, but so I threw on my clothes. I drive over there. Four cop cars out front. Uh, I go, they live in a basement apartment. I go around back to the entrance of the apartment and there were uh, probably five policemen there. Well, some were women, but five police people there. Um, and then her boyfriend and another guy that sometimes would live with them and was doing some business with her boyfriend. And, um, and then I think probably her boyfriend's brother, but I had never met the guy. So I don't know. Anyway, there's three people there in the living room on the couch. Uh, I go in and talk to him for a few minutes and then I stepped back outside and, uh, the police a few minutes later escorted them out. So it's now they think it, they're calling it sort of a potential crime scene. So they don't want anybody in contaminating stuff. Right. So we spent the rest of the night out back. Um, and there were all these policemen and, you know, they ask a bunch of questions of the boyfriend. They ask a bunch of questions of me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, unfortunately, and again, I'm not going to say anybody's name cause I don't want to. Right. The boyfriend was quite inebriated as well. Sure. And, uh, he had sometimes had a little bit of a hard time understanding some of the things the police were asking him and that was kind of hard to watch. But anyway, I asked all the questions and they had had a you know, interesting and abusive relationship. Interesting is not the right word, but they had definitely had an abusive relationship. And uh, my daughter is mean when she's drunk and I don't think her boyfriend was all that kind when he was drunk either. Right. And so the police, when I'm by myself, are starting to ask me some questions. He, he had been arrested three months ago for strangling her. Mm. Now the story is she, he was in the shower. She got in with a pair of scissors and went after him. I don't know what's true of that or not, but there was for sure some stuff that was mostly based on when they were drunk. So you kind of understand why they're treating it like a crime scene. A little bit, right? I think so they, they have start, to start asking. Off they by start well. They, them all. they know first of all. At this point, they knew that he had been arrested three months. Right, they can see right? the police report right. from earlier. Right. So um, anyway, they so they started asking me a bunch of questions, and then. Um, a detective showed up a little bit later, and then he was the one that asked me most of my questions. And at the end of all the questions and stuff, he says, listen, there's going to be, we're treating, we're going to investigate this. And he says, there's going to be an autopsy. The state's great at doing autopsies. It'll be done by Monday morning. It's already done. But he says, if we don't get an answer based on the toxic or based on the autopsy, like there's no it, physical evidence. If you can see play. that she broke her neck, or if you can see that right. you know something was lodged in her throat or whatever, if you can find that, then we'll you'll know Monday or Tuesday at the right. latest. But he said, if not, then it'll probably be based on toxicology, and toxicology takes two to four months. And I'm like, wait, I can go to the ER and get my toxicology done in 24 minutes. Why does it take the state two to four months? But I think there may be um, some other stuff involved. Like they may actually grind up a little piece of certain organs to see what the levels were in those organs and, you know, that sort of stuff. I don't know that for a fact. but It might not just be as easy as a blood draw at the ER. Right. So two to four months. Um, I'm getting a call from work, but I can't field it right now. Um, so, uh, so Monday comes and goes, we don't hear anything. Right. So you kind of know, I mean, you know, without knowing. Well, I mean, yeah, I, so let me tell you what I do know. My daughter is a pretty heavy drinker at night. Mm -hmm. She has a prescription for Ativan. She has a prescription for Ambien. Both. Terrible combo. Yeah. All three of those things are sedatives. All three of those things lower your consciousness level and your brain's drive to breathe. Respiration, heart rate. So that's a terrible combo, and I'm sure it was something along those lines. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure she was quite drunk, but I'm also certain, not certain, certain, but I'm pretty sure she had some other stuff in her system. We'll find that out one of these days, but I'm pretty sure it was a combo of Ativan, Ambien, and alcohol would be my guess, and maybe something else. I don't know. Well, no. Sean, you're, you got a question. 
or yeah. a comment or something. I, I, I have, a, I guess, maybe an, un- an uncomfortable question. I'm good with uncomfortable questions. Um, your daughter's life of addiction and your life of addiction. Yeah. Uh, how does that overlap or does it or? Such a good question, right? Because as a parent who now is in recovery, I keep thinking my kids. So my kids went through my addiction with me. Yeah. Right. And if you go back to episode one, where I told my story, I called a family meeting and told them I was, I had an addiction problem. I was going to lose my license and our lives were going to change because we were selling our house. My son looks at me and said, I thought you were going to tell us you had cancer. If you remember that story, Mm -hmm. my kids went through all that with me. I keep wanting my kids to have learned from my mistakes. Why would my kids, having seen what happened, we sold a 9,000-square-foot home and moved into a 400-square-foot basement that we had that wasn't ours, that was our in-laws, right. that we had no control over whatsoever. And it was that the even the comfort, the creature comfort stuff isn't that important. I lost a lot more than that. But my kids went through all that with me. And you'd think they could learn from those mistakes. My kids didn't learn from my mistakes at all. So my daughter did not have addiction problems while I had addiction problems. Um, Because you've been clean like 20 years. uh, 21 years, yeah. 21 years. Yeah. And so, but, um, yeah, she became an addict all on her own. She has her share of trauma in her life, and uh, uh, I think she was numbing some of that. We also know there's a genetic component to it. There is right? definitely a genetic component for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Twins are much higher. There's much higher rates of addiction in twins, in the twin of an addict, than in a sibling of an addict. First of all, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Again, like I started this thing off saying, man, it takes a lot of courage and vulnerability to, to be willing to talk about it. Sure. So So what are you doing to cope? Yeah. Man? So let's let's get to coping, right? My coping is going to be different than other people's, I think. Now, there will be there will be other people that might cope like me, but my coping is way different than what my wife's doing, right? I can tell you the things that have been helpful for sure is, one, I don't um, – there's no secrets here. I'm, I can talk about anything. And I think trying to – I've seen people try to keep everything secret. No, my daughter died of an overdose. I want everyone to know that. I want people in my life to know this disease can kill people. And like before last week, that was an that was a lesson I was teaching people with no experience. I've always thought that much of my credibility as an addiction medicine physician came from the fact that I went through addiction, right? Mm. But I hadn't really lost a close loved one. And so I'm counseling people on what to do when their loved one dies. I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I can read a book, but now I've had it happen. Right. And so I feel this. And, um, so anyway, the, uh, the things that I'm doing to cope is I'm open and honest. I think that's helpful to me. I'm talking about it a lot and I'm pretty open and honest. I don't want to, I don't, need to have things that we hide like let's bring this out it's ugly and let's talk about it um i my wife's not quite as open as i am but i think talking has helped her do you think that's that keeps you comfortable in your own skin like one of the questions i get from a lot of people that don't understand like why i talk about my experience with addiction is like why is it important for you to share it and I think a big part of that question is, A, it hopefully is some experience, strength, and hope for somebody else to know that there's a way out. Sure. And I, B, I agree with that. for me to be comfortable in my own skin yeah. so that I don't feel like I'm, like you're saying, hiding something yeah. from other people. Yeah, I agree. That, I, you feel like I, you're more comfortable in your own skin? I think so. And I, I've always found that um, when you talk about something and you're open about it, there's less shame there. I remember when I first was an and when I first discovered myself I was an addict, like I'd been an addict for a long time, but I fooled myself that I wasn't. When I first discovered it, right, my f- natural inclination is to not tell anybody. I found by revealing this to people, I have not had a negative reaction to it. Yeah. But when you deal with it up front, open, honest, here's what happened to me, here's what I did, and here's something I would like to avoid in the future. No one's ever really cast me aside. 
and the ones that would, I don't know if I want them in my life anyway. Right. So it's, I've kind of dealt with that, this, this the same way. Like, you know, my daughter committed suicide. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to jump up on the rooftops and hang up a sign or, but if people want to talk about it, I'm not going to say, no, let's not talk about that. I, I talk about things. So you're talking about it as a coping skill. I think it helped. I think it has helped some. I will tell you, my wife, who's a lot more um, secretive than I am and comes from a little bit more sort of an old school mentality where we don't talk about our family um, bad stuff. Baggage, yeah. She, I mean, we were flooded with visitors. We had people over all day Saturday, I mean, all day Sunday, all day Monday. Mm -hmm. And my wife was almost forced to talk about it because many of these people were her friends. Right. And... That I I noticed a dramatic change after she started talking about it more and more. She started to get a little better, and she didn't need to hide it. And people are reaching out trying to help, and her natural inclination would be to say, no, we're okay, everything's okay, we're fine. But she's not okay, and I'm frankly not okay. Like, I'm okay, but I'm not I'm happy to have friends that have been supportive. One of the things that I found pretty interesting is it doesn't seem like you've changed. Like, so when I first called you and found out, I said, do you want to talk about it? And you said, no. And I totally respected that because it was too fresh. Yeah. The next time we talked, you talked about it. Yeah. So that's one of the things, right, is is measuring how much vulnerability in the moment you're willing to express. You haven't really changed your schedule that much. Is it important for well, you to stay busy? So that's something, that's a coping mechanism for me, right? I decided really early on, I decided Sunday that I was probably going to try to keep my schedule as close to the same as possible. Now, if my wife needs me to stay home for support, I will do that. But if my wife is okay, I, I'm going to go to work. Mm-hmm. Boy, I tell you what I don't want to be doing is I don't want to be sitting at home just thinking about this. I know I have to deal with it. I know there's no way I'm going to forget about it, but I don't want to just sit home for 18 hours a day and have nothing to do with my brain except think about this, except, you know me, I won't do that. I'll play games on my phone or something you stupid. You like that would be more detrimental. But I don't think that would be good for me. So I have tried to keep my schedule as close to the same as I can, and it's been I've been working. Yeah. And I'm not trying to do it to just to avoid dealing with it, I don't think. I just think it was important for me to show that, maybe even to my wife, but to others, that a life goes on. That's a weird thing to say because someone's dead, but my life has to go on. Yeah. I can't give up. I cannot give up. And so taking a week off for me, listen, I'll not work the day of the funeral. There's no question about that. And maybe even some leading up to it for some things we might have to do. But for me, I think work has been a decent help and distraction. I also think setting boundaries has been helpful. Like when someone calls me and says, do you want to talk about it? If I'm not ready, I'm going to say no. Don't don't be forced into doing something you don't want to do. I do think talking has been helpful. I would... I would encourage people not to just shut down completely, but there may be a few days or for some people, a few weeks or for some people, a few months where you have to shut it down for a minute. It's too fresh and you can't talk about it without breaking down. And I'm not sure those conversations are all that helpful. If all you're doing is bawling to a friend necessarily, although maybe it's helpful to some people for me, it hasn't been that helpful when I'm too emotional about it. I just shut it down and say, I'm not, not right now. Yeah. I can remember. Um, so grief was a big part of, like I shared at the first of this episode, I can remember when I got into an outpatient setting and it had been years since my dad passed away and I was talking to my counselor and I can remember her look me dead in the face and say, you're, do you think your dad was suffering? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And she said, do you think he's in a better place now? And I said, yeah, I'm pretty sure. And she said, why are you being so selfish? Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand Mm -hmm. that until she explained to me, like, if you genuinely believe he was suffering, you think he's in a better place now. It's okay. You've been sad for a number of years. When are you going to celebrate that he's free of that? Yeah. I think the religious aspect, uh, for me, my belief in a higher power, 
and and frankly, not even for me, for my wife has been huge. She's yeah. now accepted. My daughter was mean to us, but miserable. She was miserable. There's no way my normal daughter is mean to us like that. Right. She was so miserable that she's got to be in a better place. If you believe in that, and we do, yeah. right? We believe there is another place after this. We're going to be separated for a while, but there's also going to be a time we look back and realize how little time it was that we were separated. If we believe in something called an eternity. And again, no, not everyone has to believe in that, but we do. Well, that's even, been if you're not, even if you're not religious, right? Even if you just believe in the universe, the cosmos, you believe in energy. If you believe, right, unless you're just straight up atheist and think that when we die, right. it's just Nothing black, happens, right. right? Then you can hopefully find some type of peace in it. I just want to say, I know we got less than a minute left. Yeah, we don't have much time. I appreciate you coming down. Thanks. I'm happy I'm here. Dude, you're one of the strongest people I know. So I, I genuinely appreciate that. Thank you. I wish we had time to ask, what does a friend do? Yeah, Is that's it? a hard question because I don't know the answer to that. Lots of people have reached out, though, and that's been very helpful. Okay. Like people ask me how I'm doing, and then as soon as they do that, they say, well, that's a dumb question. And In a way, it is, but it's okay. Like there is no etiquette here. Ask me whatever you want, to, want me to tell you, and I'll try and tell you. We're really out of time, but reach out and let people feel your love because we have felt that, and that's been incredibly helpful. I appreciate you coming on and, and talking about that, Doc. Episode 128 is wrapping up. Next week, we'll have episode 129 with Tiffany and Kayla. That'll be fun. See ya. Thank you for joining us today on We Do Recover with Jared Miller. Help us spread our message of hope. Like, comment, and share. If you have any topics or ideas for future shows, please share that on our Facebook page. That Facebook page is We Do Recover with Jared Miller. If you or a loved one needs help, please reach out to us. Again, thank you for listening. Brought to you by Seps Recovery Center, Rise Up Seps, and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of its sponsors. This has been a production from A Podcast Studio.